This is The Playbook. Every once in a while, I meet somebody and I have no idea the impact they're going to have on my life. And I know if they're having a great impact on my life, they're going to have an incredible impact on millions of people's lives. And that's what my experience was when I met Damon West. He's an incredible keynote speaker. He's changing life, not just with his story, but the meaning that he gives these inflection points and defined moments of his past, which are incredible. Uh, I found him to be a soulmate the minute I met him. Welcome to the playbook, Damon West. David, man, thanks a lot for having me, dude. I'm so excited to be here. You have no idea, not just because it's so fine, it's you, man. It's, I can, finally get to do your podcast, David. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's incredible. And you're wearing the shirt that says, be a coffee bean. And when I first met you and had you on another show, I was like, what's this idea of being a coffee bean? You had been highly recommended. Ed Milet loves you. John Gordon loves yeah. you. All my men's group loves this guy, Damon West. And I'm so excited to see you on this show. And then you unravel a story about the significance of a coffee bean. And I thought it'd be great to set the stage by talking about, number one, the significance of a coffee bean, and then backtrack how that is synergistic aligned with your journey and how you impact other people. Still, I guess I'll get into the story of the coffee bean, then we'll backtrack to where I heard the if story. If you're okay with that. Bean. Yeah, absolutely. Life is like a pot of boiling water, David. And you have three choices of how you're gonna respond to this pot of boiling water called life. You can be like the carrot that turns soft and sad and weak. And, and the carrots go in hard to the boiling water, but it, in minutes it becomes soft and mushy. And that happens to people. Sometimes we get beat down by life and you know what? It's okay to be the carrot. You're going to be the carrot. You're going to be sad. And being sad is a natural human emotion. There's going to be those times when you're like the egg in the pot of boiling water. The egg that goes in with that hard outer shell that protects it. But inside that soft liquid core, the egg's heart can become hardened by the pot of boiling water called life. And, and this is going to happen to us in life. We, be get mad, we get mad. We get angry. Things don't go our way. It's okay to be the egg. But it's not okay to get stuck there. Because we have a third choice is to be like the coffee bean. The coffee bean in the same pot of warm water changes the water to coffee. It's the only thing that could change water. The carrots are changed by the water. The eggs are changed by the water. But the coffee bean changes the pot of warm water into a pot of coffee. It is the change agent. And that's the story I go around telling with the backstory of where I heard it from for the first time, David. And for you, you grew up in Texas. And in Texas, in case people don't know, there is only one God. My mom always told her, I said, I, I don't believe in God. And she says, oh, yes, you do. You just are serving the wrong God. Well, they serve one God down in Texas, and that's the football gods. High school football on Friday nights, brother. Saturday <laughs> afternoons. Exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's and you, you were pretty good at yeah. football. Why do you think you were good at football? Because you're not the biggest or strongest or fastest guy that I've met. I've been around football for a long time. Why do you think you were so good at football? For the same reasons that I think that I, I was able to survive prison, what I went through and, and how I've been able to, you know, in less than seven years out of prison, turn this life around. Um, because I have a, a determination and a work ethic mixed with a mindset of never quitting, never stopping. I mean, it, and when I was younger growing up playing football in Texas, look, I'm, I'm not a big guy. I'm five foot 11 on a great day. That's but, big to me, but normal football players is not very big. No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> normal football players is not very big, but, um, but I had to work harder to get noticed by college football coaches. And, and, and I mean, like nobody wanted, in 1994, when I graduated high school, nobody wanted 5'10 quarterbacks. This is before Manziel, before all these guys, Drew Brees, that were shorter quarterbacks. Um, but I, no one could outwork me. 
You'll never be able to outwork me. And if you're going to fight against me, you have to kill me to defeat me. And that's the mentality that I took from playing football to survive in prison, to turning my life around and become a successful entrepreneur outside of prison. It's so interesting you say that. I was blessed to sit down with Ray Lewis and I was at his house. We we're in front of his fireplace and I took, asked Ray Lewis the same question. I said, Ray, you're not the biggest, fastest or strongest football player I've ever met, but you may be the best linebacker ever to play football. Why is that? And he grabbed my leg, which scared the shit out of me, and then said, because when I stepped on the football field, I was willing to die. I call it a spirit. I call it a spirit of that you must be what you can be. So how does someone that's a leader, you're a quarterback, and I've been around the greatest quarterbacks of all time, some of them in Texas, like Houston and Dallas, Warren Moon and Troy Aikman, and they have a spirit of excellence that they must be what they can be. How does someone that has that spirit is a leading high school quarterback and college quarterback end up in prison? Yeah, I think the easiest answer to that is substance abuse. And, you know, in substance abuse, what I've learned is that substance abuse really affects everybody in the country, whether you're the addict going through it, the family member of an addict, the friend of an addict, the victim the addict creates, or just the taxpayer. You're paying into an overburdened criminal justice system that has no idea how to handle the disease of addiction. Substance abuse, David. I mean, it's something I started when I was younger. I started drinking beer, smoking pot when I was younger. Didn't think it was a big deal. But here's the deal. I've got a bad belief system. My, your belief systems are important. Your belief systems are everything. They tell you how to do things and how to respond to things. And here's the deal about having a bad belief system. The longer you hold on to a bad belief system, the harder it is to get rid of. And the truth about belief systems is bad belief systems usually went out in the end. They're very hard to change. You've seen this. You've worked with clients. And, and you've even I, I had- I got to interrupt you because I want to tell people why. Because when we have good behaviors, we expect an instant result. And when we have bad behaviors, we don't think it will ever have a result because results take time. And so when we do good behaviors and don't get an immediate result, we quit. Yeah. And when we have bad behaviors and we don't see a bad result, we don't quit. Yeah. Results take time to measure. I tell people this all the time. <laughs> I learned that in prison in this class called cognitive intervention, that exact phrase. Results take time to measure. Life is a long time to live. We live in this crazy world of instant gratification. Everybody wants it now. Now, I'm one of them. I want it now. Social media says now. But the, really, the only path forward that I've ever found to get through life was through things like hard work, dedication, commitment, patience, consistency, a little bit of luck on the way doesn't hurt either. Um, but I was able to you know, go through life as a high achiever as a quarterback. Quarterbacks, quarterback is the most difficult position in all of sports. Presidential. It, it, yeah, it's, it's it. I mean, because you get all the fame, you get all the blame. You have to know what everybody in the field is doing. There's no other position like that in sports. A buddy of mine that was a former pro baseball pitcher, he's like, I don't know, Damon. I think baseball, I think pitching is the toughest position. I'm like, dude, when was the last time you threw a fastball and someone 280 that runs a 4-6 was chasing you while you did it, you know? Yeah, let, let alone, you know, David <laughs> Wells was a friend of mine, right? That guy had a system. Like, he shows up every five days. Yeah. Like, you get to play every fifth game. That ain't football. No, man. That ain't, but quarterback <laughs> is it, man. But Quarterbacks are made of something different, and, and they're they're literally like you're made of this this stronger mentality just to be a successful quarterback. Successful quarterbacks are made of something different, and and I'm one of those guys. I was made of that. But here's the deal: if put in the wrong direction, I can go full speed that direction too. And I found this out whenever my bad belief systems that allowed me to just drink a little beer, smoke a little pot when I was younger. After I got hurt in college against A&M, I started putting in hardcore drugs because my bad belief system says it's okay, I can do drugs, right? But now I'm doing cocaine and ecstasy and pills, stuff like that. Graduated college, 
went off to work in Washington, United States Congress, worked for a guy running for president, became a Wall Street stockbroker in Dallas for UBS. And it was at that job at UBS, the belief system comes in again in 04 when I'm introduced to meth. But meth was a game changer, David. It changed it. I mean, it was the most destructive, most addictive drug I've ever touched. And I was instantly hooked. 18 months later, I'm living on the streets of Dallas and I start committing crimes to fund my addiction. I'm homeless and I'm living in dope houses and I'm sleeping in people's cars. I'm breaking into cars, breaking into storage units. Then eventually I start breaking into people's homes. And this is the crime I broke. Dave, this is a very serious crime. I've never physically hurt anybody during my crimes. No one was ever home. But I stole something from my victims they'll never get back. That's their sense of security. So I know that I was a bad guy and I deserved to go to prison. But once I got started doing the burglaries, the quarterback kicked in again. I started my own burglary crew. There were about a dozen people, almost like a football team. I've got a dozen people working beneath me on this burglary crew. And I'm the mastermind of the ring of burglars called the Uptown Burglary Crime Ring. And I'm the quarterback again. And when the SWAT team kicks in my door on July 30th, 2008, this dope house that I'm in with my dope dealer, when the SWAT team kicks in, one of the cops screamed out out loud, we got him. We got the Uptown Burglar. They had me. They had the man. I was the mastermind of the entire thing. And they took me to Dallas County Jail that day and they, they put me in the, the system. And it was the harshest reality I've ever seen in my life. But that's the whole idea, man. I've always been motivated to do whatever I'm doing at full speed, whether it's good or it's bad. And I had to find a way back on that good path again. And how did you do that? Spiritual awakening. It has to be a spiritual awakening. It, it, right. And so I went through my own spiritual awakening through my own identity, a shared identity that I had with myself as a type of personality like a quarterback. But what does that mean to you, a spiritual awakening? Because a lot of people are listening right now going, oh, these two freaks are woo-woo dudes, right? <laughs> they One went bankrupt, lost over $100 million, The other went to prison and they found God. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's not about, it's not the finding God aspect yeah, because you do. I mean, you, you introduce, and it's whatever you think God is, by Correct. the way. We're I would not, say something bigger than you that loves you more than your mom. Right. I'm not here to, I'm not here to, it's not. <laughs> as long a, as you believe that, you're cool. In fact, it's not, it's not a religious thing. Anyway, and your story is fascinating to me because I studied you a lot before I even knew, before you even knew who I was, I knew who you were. You went through a bankruptcy. You had a SWAT team come get you too. Because yeah. the SWAT teams of life are always coming. They don't have to be wearing helmets and shields and assault rifles. They can be creditors coming in to say, hey, man, this is it. We need your mom's house back. Right. You know, that's your SWAT team story. But it's a spiritual awakening in the sense that this I, a guy in prison told me this. He said the difference between religion and spirituality is this. He said religion is for people who have never been to hell and don't want to go. Spirituality is for people that have been to hell and don't want to go back. That was the spiritual awakening that I had. I love that. Yeah, man. It was like this guy. When you hear that on another podcast, I'll try my best to give you credit for it. Even though some dude in prison told you. That's yeah. freaking awesome. It, it, but it, it broke it down for me. And here's the deal. I got very spiritual in there. Spirituality is your conscious contact with whatever you call God. And that's something you have. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go to a building for that. You don't need somebody to conduct a service for you. You have the ability to interact with God, as you call God, every single day. And on your terms, because you've got this contact with your creator. Everybody's got that, whether or not you choose to use it. And I tell people all the time, the difference between religion and spirituality, you can be a religious person, not have spirituality, and it doesn't necessarily assure you're gonna be a good person. I've met a ton of people who are very spiritual that have no religion that are great people. Me too. It's like, you know, one doesn't have to exist without the other. Spirituality is a very different thing than religion. I tell people that all the time. This is a very different thing. I'm a Christian. My, my you know, my faith is in Christ, but it's a spiritual thing that I got when I was in prison. 
the spiritual awakening really happened in this program recovery that I got into called AA. And, and for all the AA series people out there, I don't speak for AA. I'm not claiming to, but that's my 12 step program recovery. And David, I work my program to this day. I go to my meetings every week. I have a sponsor. I talk to almost daily. I work the steps, but in this program recovery, the spiritual side of it says we have to go out and serve other people to, to stay sober. We have to serve other people to have what we want in life. We have to give it away to keep it. And when I got into that mode, I had a spiritual awakening. It was like a, like a caterpillar going into a cocoon and coming out this butterfly. I grew more in seven years and three months and 18 days in a maximum security prison than I did the first 33 years that I was living on this earth. That's how much I grew. And I see a lot of growth from people that go to prison uh, the same way you do when you go to college or graduate school because there is a microcosm and a vacuum that a lot of people I don't think realize. And it, it to me raises my awareness of frequency. So when you're in prison, there's almost two schools, just like high school, college and graduate school. There's the guys that are gonna go back and do exactly what they do. They're, they're already thinking about what they're gonna do the same way, but better than what they did before. They're not interested in 12 steps. They're not interested in changing. They're interested in getting better at what they did so they don't get caught. And then there's this great wisdom that exists there. The people that say, wait a second, I don't want to go back to hell. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see it actually uh, represented in physical by the cliques that exist in a prison. And I've done a lot of work in prisons, spoken prisons, and, and I see the two frequencies that are contained in a smaller area than a college or a graduate school or a high school. They're right there. Did you have a moment where you decided, I'm not going into that group over there. I'm going to go into this group. I need to change my frequency, change the water, be a coffee bean. Yeah. So everyone is a teacher, David. Everyone's a teacher. They'll either teach you how to do something the right way or the wrong way. But everybody is right. a teacher. I had two parents like that. One taught me the right way. One taught me the wrong way. Not telling you which one. <laughs> Most people know. But you learn lessons from both. Right. And we can learn lessons from all teachers. You know, that's what. And, and like I tell people all the time, in my life, God what I call God didn't just reach his hand down on my head and say, Damon, you're healed. Right. You know what God did in my life, David? Same thing he did in your life. Put people in my life. And these people, they came in different forms and shapes and sizes. And when I was younger, it was like my mom and my dad, the, the teachers, the coaches that raised me in Port Arthur, Texas. As I got older, they took on different forms. One of them was a black Muslim man in Dallas County Jail. And that's why I say they come in different forms because I'm a white middle-class Catholic guy from Port Arthur, right? right. But I'm receptive. And that's the key in life, to be receptive to all the messengers on the road of life, because some of them are going to give you some of the most valuable lessons. That happened to me in Dallas County Jail the summer of 2009. I had just been sentenced to life in prison, and I run into this another inmate in there. His name was Mr. Jackson, and Mr. Jackson was the one that shared with me the story of the coffee bean. Everybody in county jail is telling me the only way to survive what you're about to go into is to get into a gang. But my mother, right after my trial Which is was to over, be an egg or a carrot. Yeah, it would be an egg or a carrot, mostly be an egg because the, the, the gangs harden you. And, and But my mom, right after my trial was over, they have a little brief conversation they allow with my parents because they really feel sorry for my parents because I was just sentenced to life on May 18, 2009. My mom has this incredible conversation with me right after on the side of the courtroom, and she says, no gangs, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. So I have this ultimatum, this line in the sand that my mother has just drawn. And I don't know how I'm going to fulfill that because everybody's telling me in county jail, 
The bus is coming to get you to take you to prison in a couple months. Get ready. Get into a gang. Black guys, white guys, Asian guys, Hispanic guys, because that's the way it works in prison. But Mr. Jackson, this older black man, shares with me the story of the coffee bean. He said, the only way you're going to survive this and come back to your parents as someone they recognize is to be like that coffee bean. And the, the last four words this man ever said to me was, be a coffee bean. And that made sense to me, David. I could grab onto that. And it's like when I go around speaking all over the, the world now and sharing the story of the coffee bean with my story, it's like everybody from five to 95 years old understands this concept, the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean. I've got three choices. And no matter what the pot of boiling water is, you always have those three choices. It made sense to me. But he told me one other thing that really stuck with me and it helped me out a lot. He said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. You don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. That helped me out a lot because when I got to prison, I fought for the first two months. I probably got in three dozen fights, lost 75% of these fights. First, it was the white gangs and it was the black gangs, but I won all my fights, David, because I kept showing up. Almost back to the original question you asked me, what was it that made me a great quarterback? And it's that grit, the determination, you're going to have to kill me to beat me. And I took that into a prison and it worked. In that pot of boiling water, I was able to change that pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee. And that is one of the reasons parole let me go in 2015. Now, I'm not free. I'm on parole to the year 2073. So I, I got a little time left of supervised release. <laughs> but I'm not worried about parole. I'm a coffee bean, man. I'm not going, the only way I go to prison is when I go in there and I speak to the men and women in there and I walk back out the front gate. Yeah, it's amazing because there's so many people that come on the podcast or I meet and they say the same thing that you told me. Nobody can outwork me, right? Or I'm willing to die like a Ray Lewis. And is that something that's born into you? Or is it born into everyone and we have to release it? What is your philosophy or perspective on what you and I share? That what I believe determination that we must be what we can be and that we're willing to do it all and give it all. I believe it's within each of us. I think we're born with that. I think that we get away from that sometimes in life. We allow the circumstances of life or the way we're raised. Some some people are raised in, in a place that says, well, you know, it's okay. You don't, have, you don't have to win. It's just how you play the game. I want to win sometimes too, David. But I mean, I think that you're, you're born with that power inside of you because I think we all have that. That's a spiritual thing. You have this born inside of you. But sometimes we lose it along the way, but we can find that at any time we want and we can tap into that. It's a reservoir we can tap into, but it requires surrender. Surrender of this idea called control. We, man, this is something that I learned in AA was like this idea of control. Man, that's a fallacy. That's, that's a fantasy. I mean, I, I don't have, I control four things. That's it. What I think, what I say, what I feel, and what I do. What I think, what I say, what I feel, and what I do. When I learned that and I started focusing my time in those four areas, then my time became well used because now my time is pushed into something that I can actually have an effect on. And another thing about learning how to deal with struggles in life is that anytime I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. And whenever I'm disturbed, when something's bothering me, I need to find out what role I play in that disturbance because that's the thing I can control. What role do I play? And I remove myself from that's what I can work on. So whenever I'm disturbed, something's wrong with me. I got to figure out what that is. Yeah, no doubt. The control is when we realize we're participating in a perception based on not only what we think, say, do and feel, but also what we believe. And we have control of the mindset, the heart set and the hand set. 
in order to effectuate that. Uh, well, I'm certainly glad that you're a coffee bean. I'm certainly glad that you are fighting every fight yourself and being the best that you can be. Uh, more people need to read this book with two of my, one of my oldest and best friends there, John Gordon, but also one of my newest and best friends, Damon West. Read Damon West to be your best, to find and pursue your potential, incredible lessons of life, inspiration, aspiration, intelligence, and intuition incorporated into a tremendous story. Thank you so much. This is David Meltzer with the incredible Damon West here on Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.